0: Well, we are continuing our study on uh, the tabernacle, this uh, Old Testament event where the children of Israel have now come out of Egypt and they have met with God at Sinai and God gives them instructions as to how to build a house for him. And uh, what is interesting is that um, God's plan was never to take us to be with him. It was always for him to be with us. I don't know if that struck you as we studied that a few weeks ago, but that's one thing that stuck out to me because even in the end times, it's always about God coming to be with us and not the other way around. So God builds, asks these folks, this family to, of his own, to build him a tabernacle. And they bring their gold and their silver and their, uh, their lumber and their, their, um, their, their linens and, and their cloths and everything that they have and they build this house for God. This God with us theme is the theme of scripture. It is the theme of Exodus, it is the theme of the Old Testament, it is the theme of the New Testament. Moses said, if you don't go with me, then I don't wanna go to the Promised Land. Literally, we need God to be with us. Well, sometimes when we think of the tabernacle, we think of this wondrous picture of of gold and silver, and and that's absolutely true. It It was a beautiful place. It was an expensive place. It was God's house. It was in the middle of the rest of the tribes as they would plant their tents and their, their, their houses around it. But right in the center was this tabernacle, shiny inside. It was, it was beautiful inside. And, and we think, like, this is, the, this is the typical picture of the tabernacle. And we would be right. We would be right. But there's one part of the tabernacle in reality that is going on that we sometimes forget about. And that is, this is a place of death. In fact, if you were to take your kids here, you would be amazed at what they would see. You would see butchering, cutting, huge pulleys, raising up these big oxen, slitting throats, draining out blood, pieces of animals being butchered, taken apart. Men would separate pieces of things in one pile and other pieces of the same thing in another pile. You would hear the death gurgles of animals. You would see the blood covering the altar, covering the ground, covering the garments. You would smell the death in the air. Things were regularly and intentionally killed in this place. And so instead of seeing a a picture in our minds of maybe what we would normally see, the gold and the silver and all of that, what we might really see is the blood on the ground and and the broken necks of animals laying around around us. I remember when we went to Disney, uh, I wanted to go on Splash Mountain. And I, I, asked, I asked the attendant, I said, now, we got little girls. This was way back when we had little girls. I said, we got little girls, and I just want to know, are they going to get wet? And the attendant said, oh, yes, they're going to get wet. you got to know that if you went to the tabernacle, you are going to get splashed with blood. You're going to get bloody. Your children will get bloody. You would come back full of blood. In fact, the two things you would know about the tabernacle are It is where the presence of God is, and it's where things are killed. Those are the two things that would stand out in your mind. I take you to Exodus 24 and verse 4. This is where we're going to pick up on this idea of all of this death going on at the tabernacle. Moses rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. And he sent out young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins, and half of the blood he threw against the altar. Now, in case you were wondering, an ox would have about 10 gallons of blood in it. These would be oxen. Several oxen are killed in several different locations. This probably was hundreds of gallons of blood. As the blood was gathered up, this blood would be put into one basin, and the other basin would be used to splash it around the place. By the time they get to the Passover, there's all of these different people that are showing up for, uh, for Passover, and they are uh, on this one day of atonement converging in the Temple Mount. By the time we get to the temple, they actually had, uh, how do you call it? They had made this such a profession that they actually had to dig a trench from the Temple Mount down through the city down into a gully that led to the Valley of Hinnom. And there in the Valley of Hinnom, so much blood would flow through this trench. You would smell it. You would see it. This blood would flow through the city, flow into this trench. And so many sacrifices were done there through the year, but also on the Day of Atonement, an enormous amount of sacrifices were done. This place was a dump. It was used for burning garbage and burning blood and guts. In fact, when you're wondering what Jesus compared to hell. He said, hell is like the valley of Hinnom. People knew what that was. It was a place of disgusting death. Move on down to Exodus chapter 29 and verse 10. The blood fills the place up. You shall bring the bull before the tent of the meeting. Aaron and his son shall lay their heads on the head of the bull, hands on the head of the bull. Then you shall kill the bull before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of the meeting. Now, a bull is a big, big animal. So you had several people that are going to be moving it around. Somebody slices it open. Other other people are gathering up the blood as the, the body is sliced open and the pieces are taken out. Take part of the bull and put it on the horns of the, part of the blood of the bull. Put it on the horns of the altar with your finger. And the rest of the blood pour out at the base of the altar. Now, if you're wondering exactly how this goes, I don't have the time to talk about all of the different verses, but here's how it goes. Blood was taken from the most holy place to the most to the least holy place. So blood, first of all, was taken into the Holy of Holies. It was poured on the ark itself, seven times sprinkled in front of the ark. Then it was put into the shrine. That's the outer room of the, t- of the tent. Uh, you had to sprinkle it toward the veil, but make sure that it doesn't get on the veil. Seven sprinkles. Then you go to the horns of the altar of incense, and you cover those with blood. The horns are the, the corners of the, the altar where they would cover those with blood. Outside the tent, then, the horns of the burnt offering are now sprinkled upon. Then the vessels of the temple are all to be sprinkled with blood. Then, in case, you, in case you're still clean, in case you haven't got anything on you yet, no blood and bone and guts and stuff like that, then parts of the animal were to be taken out of the animal and waved in the air and blood was splattered everywhere. And just in case you escaped that, individuals were then covered with blood. Verse 20, you shall kill the ram, this is now another animal, and take part of the blood and put it on the tip of the right ear of Aaron and on the tips of the right ears of his sons. These were the Levites that were performing these uh, ritualistic sacrifices. You shall put it on the thumbs of their right hands and on the great toes of their right feet. And throw the rest of the blood against the side of the altar. That altar was covered in blood. Verse 21. You shall take part of the blood that is on the altar and of the anointing oil, and sprinkle it on Aaron and his garments, and on his son and their garments with him. And his garments shall be holy, and his sons and his sons' garments with them. Now blood is covering Aaron. It's covering Aaron's face. It's covering their, their Aaron's uh, sons' faces, their hands, their feet, their toes. And it's not just on the priests. You think you're getting away with it yet? You're ducking all the blood in the guts that are flying everywhere. Exodus twenty four verse seven. Then Aaron took the book or Moses took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people and they said, All that God has spoken we will do and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, behold the blood of the covenant of the Lord that is, uh, uh, has made with you in accordance with these words. Church, blood covered Everything. It's a different picture when you don't look at the, you know, this, the Sunday school picture of what the tabernacle looked like and the shiny objects that are inside. You're now seeing the reality of the blood and the guts that are everywhere in this place. Basically, if you were a priest, you were a good butcher. Blood, interestingly enough, is not seen as the actual sacrifice. The actual sacrifice were the animals that were, that were burned up there. Blood was something different. The blood was special because it wasn't the actual sacrifice. It was instead seen as the purification agent. You know how you can use bleach as a noun and you can use bleach as a verb? You ever do that? Like, uh, like I have to go to the store to buy some bleach, but then if I'm playing outside with the kids and I get grass stains on my pants, I have to bleach my pants, see? Noun and verb. Blood is the verb of the sacrifice. It is a purification agent, the active agent that makes things clean. Bottom line is, church, the tabernacle was a violent place. Today, if you took your kids to the tabernacle, somebody would call DHS on you pretty quickly. Is it DHS? DCS. Whatever it is, the agency that uh, doesn't like the way that you treat your kids sometimes, they would be knocking on your door. Now, listen. Listen. Today, we know the emphasis on blood, right? We know these stories from the Old Testament. Maybe you don't. Maybe this is all brand new to you. Maybe you always thought the tabernacle was just kind of a shiny, wonderful place where God existed and it was always, you know, cleansed with bleach. (laughs) But it was completely different than that. It was a place where the blood flowed freely. We know this as a church also because all the songs we sang this morning were about what? Blood. Blood. We sing about blood all the time. Listen to some of the words we sing. How precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. Think about that. It's not a drip. It's not a a little on your, your, how precious is, you know what a flow of blood is? How precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. How about this one? There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. We're not talking little drips. We're talking about a fountain flow. You ever see one of those chocolate fountains in your, in your living room when you invite guests over? This is a fountain flowing with blood. How about this one? Have you been washed in the blood? When you picture the scene in your mind of the actual words that we're talking about, it's pretty horrific. And the big question I have for you this morning is simply this why why all this emphasis on blood two big reasons number one because blood is the most valuable commodity we have there's no greater commodity we have than blood we may learn that touching a stove is a bad idea but you do not have to learn that blood is precious Cultural practices, you, you, you make a blood oath. You ever make a blood oath when you were a kid or you heard about a blood oath? You know, you slice your hand and you shake hands with somebody else who slices a blood oath. Th- this has been around for since human beings have walked the planet. Blood has always been involved in sacrifices, even in cultic practices. Nobody has to sit down with people and say to them, now listen, how do we really get a hold of the God's attention? Everybody knows we've got to give them the most valuable thing we have. And what is that? Blood. In Ecuador... They're constantly finding graveyards of children who have been sacrificed to the gods from ancient times. Moloch in the Old Testament required blood of infants. The most valuable thing we have to give, to sacrifice, is blood. Even these days, uh, vampires, you ever, you know, vampires, the, the, the power is in the blood, we know this. And, and, and if that's not your thing, how about Avengers? Avengers right? What is the most powerful sacrifice that you can make to get the, what is the stone that you had to get that required the, the, the thing you loved the most? What was that? The soul stone. Thank you very much. Yes, we have a winner in the back row. So you've got, you've got this, this requirement of blood, even in our most recent movies. Why? Because humans instinctively know that there is a power in blood. There's a value in blood like nothing else. And number two, the truth of the matter is, blood is the only necessary ingredient necessary for the forgiveness of sins. The chasm between us and God is extremely wide. Our sin puts us at odds with God's holiness. There's no way to get from here to there. Blood is the only necessary ingre- ingredient that can span the distance. We know this from the very beginning. It, is, it is a law of this world. It is a law of nature. It is a law of God. When Adam and Eve sinned, you remember when Adam and Eve sinned. The tree was put into the garden, and and Eve, you know, was tempted by the serpent, and she took, and then she gave some to her husband, and he took, and they fell into sin. You remember this, Genesis chapter three. You remember the story. And God said, don't eat from this tree. Don't, don't eat. You can eat from any other tree of the garden, but don't eat from this tree. Because the day you eat of it, you shall die. Here's what it says in Genesis 2, 17. But the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day you eat of it, you shall what, church? You shall surely die. That's the law. Church, I want you to get this. The law is Adam, Eve, don't eat from the tree. If you eat from that tree, you will die. That's the law. What did they do? Did they eat or did they resist? They ate. Did they die? Interesting. They died spiritually, but they did not die physically. Why? Because God made a way with blood. The story goes on like this. Jesus shows up in the garden. God shows up in the garden to walk with them, as he does presumably often. They're not surprised by it. They hear his voice in the garden. I love that word. I love that phrase. They hear. His, you ever hear somebody's voice? They don't hear his footsteps. They hear his voice. Anyway, I don't know if he's singing or what, but they hear him. And as he's walking, as he's walking along, for the first time ever, they hide from him. They don't run out to greet him. They don't say, "God's here. Let's go out and see him." It's not like that. See, they they blew it. They ate from the tree and they hid from God. So God says to them, "What happened here?" And you know the story. Eve said, The serpent uh, that you put into the garden, the serpent uh, tempted me and I fell. And Adam said, uh, Eve, the woman you gave me, everybody blames God. The woman you gave me, yeah, she, she made me sin. And so God, God curses the devil, curses the serpent. And then God does something very interesting. The God who made life, the God who has never killed before kills. Kills the life that he makes. Genesis 321. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Where did he get the garments of skins, church? God killed his own creation so he could cover their shame. that break your heart? The God who made the beauty of the earth, the God who made this earth with no sin in it, the God who gave us free choice, Now, because his chosen people sin, has to kill his own creation and carve skin so that they could clothe themselves. When Adam and Eve sinned, they immediately learned four things. One, sin corrupts everything. Two, sin separates us from God. Three, sin always brings death. Because of that, they would die spiritually. There was something wrong between them and God. There was a chasm and because of that, they died physically as they aged. And the fourth thing he, they learned was God accepts a substitute sacrifice. Church, the bottom line is this why blood? Because you have to walk through blood to get to God. You have to walk through blood to get to God. Let me pick it up in Leviticus 9 and verse 7. It talks more about the sacrifice here. Moses said to Aaron, draw near to the altar and offer your sin offering and your burnt offering and make atonement for yourself and for the people and bring the offering of the people and make atonement for them as the Lord has commanded. The idea is atonement. This word atonement is the key for understanding why blood. Atonement is the word kapar. If you're interested in that, it's a Hebrew word. It literally means to cover over, to atone, to propitiate, or to pacify. It's used over 100 times in the Old Testament. The first time that we find it, uh, Noah is atoning. And do you know what what he's atoning? He's atoning his boat. The idea of he put pitch on the inside of the boat and pitch on the outside of the boat, the word used there is kapar. He covered all of the leaks with pitch the idea is it covers the uh, Noah covered the inside and the out with pitch so no water could penetrate it and the idea of atoning is that our sin is covered so God can no longer see it and it couldn't just be any covering it had to be the best covering it had to be spotless it had to be without flaw it had to be the best that you had to give Dwayne Garrett says this, it is all but inconceivable that ancient Israelites could watch the painful slaughter of animals as their sin offerings to Yahweh and not come away with a profound sense that the wrath of God had to be covered. The resulting state after these sacrifices were done is reconciliation with God. Sins were atoned for, The, the chain of guilt and punishment was broken And now the person making the sacrifice would be right with God. Literally, you know what atonement means? Atonement means at one meant. It means that you have done everything necessary to make your life what it should be before God, so you can be at-one with him. That's what atonement literally means, at one meant. The entire worship structure of Israel was designed to sear an eternal principle into the soul of God's people, and that is sin had to be atoned for with blood. And nothing has changed for us today. No no level of civility in the American culture can get us away from this, this, this universal truth that sin must be atoned for by blood. The same principle is true today as it was way back then at Sinai. Nothing has changed. Only blood will do then, and only blood will do now. Hebrews 9:18 actually gives us insight as to a New Testament understanding of Exodus chapter 24 and 29. In verse 18 it says this, therefore not even the first cover a covenant was inaugurated without blood. In other words, the covenant between humans and God has to be begun, has to be inaugurated with blood. No official relationship with God can be inaugurated any other way. It has to be started, begun with blood. Verse 19, for when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to the people, he took the blood of the calves and goats, does this sound familiar, with water and scarlet wool and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself and the people. Remember? This is what happened. Hebrews is telling us, okay, the universal truth is you have to have blood in order to be right with God. That's the universal truth. Why don't we sacrifice these days? It's because let me explain it to you. It's like the writer of Hebrews is saying, this is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. In the same way he sprinkled with blood both the tent and the vessels used in worship, he goes back to this this story of what's happening in Exodus. He said, that principle applied today and here's how it applies, applied back then, here's how it applies today. Before he gets there, he reminds us of the same truth. Verse 22, indeed under the law, almost everything is purified with blood And say this with me, church, because it's so good for you to know this. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Let's say that one more time. That's the principle. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. It is a universal principle begun way back in the Garden of Eden, established for them on how to do it on a daily, annual basis, starting at Sinai, and it continues for us today. That is why we sing about Jesus' blood. That is why our songs talk about the blood of Jesus Christ. That is why we preach about Jesus' death on a regular basis. Jesus is a sacrifice that was brought to us by God himself. On the day of Palm Sunday, six days before Jesus was crucified, five days before Jesus was crucified, God brings a lamb through the streets of Jerusalem. While everybody else on this day of atonement was bringing a lamb for their families, God the Father was bringing a lamb for us. And the gate swung open, and the Lamb of God, our sacrifice, came through on a donkey. And he came through the gates of Jerusalem, and they threw palms in front of him, and their garments in front of him. And in a matter of five days, that lamb would be killed. The blood would flow. You know this. What is the favorite verse we all know? John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. You see, sin brings death. God brings a lamb to bring us life. And we need the blood of that lamb to cover our sins. It is a universal truth. Jesus made this clear over and over again for his disciples. But one of the best times is our moment that we remember in communion so I take you to the Lord's Supper. This is, this is why we do communion when, when we do it. It's, it's a recollection of what happened at the Lord's Supper, the, na- the night he was betrayed. Matthew twenty six twenty six. as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup when he had given thanks and gave it to them, saying, drink it, all of you, for this is my what, church? This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. You see, you need Jesus' blood to cover your sins. It is a universal principle. Sin needs atonement. Your sin does not make you at one with God. It makes you an enemy of God. Jesus Christ is a lamb of God given for our sins so that that blood could be sprinkled on our sin, cover it like the pitch in Noah's ark so God's... Our sin is hidden from God through the blood of Jesus Christ. And when we eat and we drink at communion, we don't eat and drink blood. We're not vampires. That's not what it is. It's a spiritual reminder to us that this juice represents what it took for us to be right with God, and that is the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't open a vein at the table and make people drink his blood. The juice doesn't turn into the blood of Jesus. It was then what it is now, a reminder to us that the Lamb of God had to die. It had to be Jesus and no one else. Only Jesus was a perfect sacrifice. No sin in him. He was the only candidate. One animal would be sacrificed for a family as a band-aid for the sins of that family over and over through the year. And then on the Day of Atonement, it was a big band-aid until the next Day of Atonement. The perfect of Lamb of God would suffer once for the sins of the entire world. I take it to Hebrews 10 and verse five, three to five. These sacrifices were a reminder of sins every year. How would you like to have a sacrifice done by your your dad as, as the head of your family and just to be reminded of what a loser you are? What, why are we doing these sacrifices? Because you're a sinner, so this animal has to die. Well, that's not fair, no joke. You sin, so this animal has to die. These sacrifices, there's a reminder of sins every year for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. Jesus is the best that God has done, the best that God would ever do. The spotless lamb of God would shed this sinless blood that would cover the sins of the world, past, present, and future. All those sacrifices of the Old Testament were just a shadow of what was to come. Because when Jesus died, his blood covers all sins. Only Jesus brings at one meant atonement with God the Father. And now we enter through the blood of Jesus to have a holy relationship with God. And so I tell you the main point, you have to walk through blood to get to God. You have to walk through blood to get to God. Jesus' sacrifice is the theme of Scripture from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Do you recognize these words? Isaiah 53, 7, he was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that was led to the slaughter, like a sheep before a shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. All pictures of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, sacrificed for the sins of the world. These Old Testament sacrifices were were an offense to our senses. It was an offense to every sense that we had. But it was a reminder to us of the great sacrifice to come. This is how much God loves us. See from his hands, his head, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet or thorns compose so rich a crown? Jesus did this for you. He did this for me. He's the one person that didn't have to die because of sin. But he voluntarily died so our sins could be atoned for, pitched over, covered. A friend of mine, a pastor friend of mine named Ken, a good friend of mine, went on a missionary trip to South America. He visited a tribe that this missionary group that he was involved with had actually ministered to. They were idol worshippers for generations, hundreds of generations. But then the missionaries arrived, they shared with him Jesus Christ, the whole tribe accepted Jesus. Their lives were changed. This tribe invited Ken and his cohorts to come down so that they could thank them. And they held a big feast. They invited them to this this uh, gathering place that they had, and they put on a play for them. They wanted wanted these missionaries to understand what they've been saved out of. It's only been one generation since Jesus has changed these people. So they put on their idol-worshiping garb. They put on their feathers. They put on their paint. And they danced around the stage, yelling and hooping and hollering, and then they brought out a lamb. And Ken, Ken knew they used to do animal sacrifices to appease their God. So he thought, well, they bring out a lamb so that they can illustrate this is what they used to do. And to his horror, they took the lamb with a knife. And he thought, no, they're not going to do that. They're not going to do that. And Ken and his, and his friends were on the front row. And they slit the throat of the, of the lamb right in front of these, and the, and the blood splattered over the whole front row. Ken was shocked. He said, I, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. They were, they were killing a lamb right in front of me. And then they let the lamb fall to the ground, and they gathered their children around. And the main guy walked to the front of the stage, and he, said, and he addressed the missionaries, and he said, I want to thank you for giving us Jesus. You have saved us from this. I'll never forget that story. Because even in a pagan cultic ritual, to idols, they knew blood was precious. But it wasn't until they were introduced to the precious blood of Jesus Christ that their lives were changed. This is the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. Sometimes when we show Jesus on the cross, we sanitize it like we do the tabernacle. But I wanna tell you the picture of Jesus on the cross is anything but sanitary. It is the only theme of the Bible. Jesus was flogged not once, but twice. 40 slashes. <laughs> the Romans knew how to kill. That's what they knew how to do. 40 whips, and you would likely die. They slashed Jesus 39 times twice. They put a, thro- a thorn of crowns on his head. They beat him, never breaking a bone. They beat him. They whipped him. He was a bloody mess. By the time he gets to the cross, people say he couldn't have died because the two thieves on both sides of him were still alive. No, he died because he had lost so much blood. His blood was splewed all over the place. He had walked his blood all through the streets of Jerusalem before he ever got to the place where he was crucified. His blood was not only all over the streets, it was over all the people that had whipped him and beaten him. And the people who drove the nails into his hands were covered with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 9.24 clears this up for us in a way that is amazing. For Christ has entered into the holy place, not into the holy place made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. You see, in his sacrifice, bloodied and beaten, Jesus takes that body that God gave to him, that incarnate body that had blood flowing out of it, and in a very real sense, he walks into the court of the temple and he throws his own blood against the altar. And he walks, against, he walks up to the horns of the altar and he pours his blood out there. Then he becomes death, this death that he walks through the very court entrance of the temple into the most holy place. He pulls back the curtain and he lets his blood flow there. And he sprinkles that same blood over all of our hearts all who would believe so that we can have a place, so that we can have an entrance, so that his blood becomes the bridge that we can walk over to get to God. Jesus blazes a trail for us. The next verse, it says, as it is, he appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. This is what Jesus did for us. Now, you can be like the guys that drove the nails into his hand and never believe. You can be, you can be so knowledgeable about the blood of Jesus, you could tell every, every idea of how Jesus died, how his asphyxiation on that cross. Or you can know a lot about Scripture, you can know a lot about God, and you can know a lot about Jesus, but your heart may never change. Like those guys that drove the nails in, I don't know if their hearts ever changed and they were splattered with his blood. But if you accept this blood on your behalf... This eternal sacrifice—you have to go through blood to get to God. Jesus has offered His freely. I take you to the next next chapter, Hebrews 10. As the writer of Hebrews explains this even further for us in verse 19, it says, "Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, church, how do we get into the holy place by the what? By the blood of Jesus." Here's what we need to do, draw near to God through Jesus. Verse 22, next verse, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Jesus is a reason that we can have a relationship, an intimate relationship with God. We can come boldly before God. Isn't that something? You can come boldly before God in full assurance of faith. You don't have to wonder, is, is God going to be mad at me? Is, or am I not right with God? You have a right to come before God because Jesus has paved the path with his blood. And if you go through Jesus' blood, you can have a relationship with the Father. You can have confidence that Jesus' blood is the greatest treasure and the only way to get to the Father. And if you think I'm making this up, this is what Jesus said himself. In John chapter 14, he says to his own disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You get it? Jesus' blood is how we have a relationship with God. Number two, don't give up hope. Hebrews goes on to say in Verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Listen, church, if Yahweh did this for you, if the Father did this for you, if the Father gave his only son, sinless, perfect sacrifice, if God sacrificed his only son for you, how much more will he not give you all things? We have a, we have a tendency to think, Well, oh, God's mad at me, God's not gonna give me, God's not, not, God's, God's not gonna follow through on his promises. I want to introduce you to a verse that, that goes directly against that. God intentionally planned you to have a relationship with him through Jesus Christ. Romans 8.31 says this. What shall we say to these things if God is for us? Church, say it with me. This is such a good verse. If God is for us, who can be against us? And what's the proof? He did not spare his own son, but gave him for, up for us all. How, not, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things if god gave you the most precious gift that has ever existed why would we ever doubt he would be stop being faithful now the world may be going to hell in a handbasket these days but church if god is for you who can be against you and number three keep encouraging one another the next verse says let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works don't neglect meeting together as is the habit of some but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near you know what that says stay on mission don't lose heart keep the faith keep stirring one another up in love love one another Keep encouraging one another by doing good works, blessing one another by doing good works, and don't neglect the moments of clarity you have before you to take advantage of by stopping gathering together on on your meeting days. Our meeting days these days is Sunday. That's the day we meet. Keep meeting together, and all the more as you see the final day approaching. You know what Sundays do for us? I hit a pothole with my car Last uh, two years ago, it was one of the. Bi- and now, listen, I've hit potholes since two years ago, as you have. We live in Chicago, but this was a monster of a pothole. I didn't see it, but I hit it, and I hit it dead on. And immediately when I hit it, you know what happened? My steering went. <laughs> And so I'm driving my, my, my wheel this way because my alignment got totally knocked off. I had to go to the store. I had to, I had to pay for a, a repair shop to actually do a realignment for my car because that pothole had wrecked my alignment. I tried to bill Chicago, and they, they apparently don't fix your car when their potholes that are unfilled by the tax money that you pay don't actually get filled. They didn't, they didn't pay my bill, obviously. I need to get my car aligned. Do you know what church does for us? Do you know what elbowing and hanging out with the family of God does for us? It keeps us aligned. Satan wants nothing more than to knock you off course, get you confused, get you scared, get you feeling guilty, get get you a little uneasy about life. That's not God's role. God's role is to remind us constantly that he's in control. So don't neglect the gathering of yourselves together because it's then when we get a good process of alignment as we need. I don't know about you, but I hear a lot of questionable things in the run of a week. But you can count on this. When you come to church, you'll hear a lot of truth. It's a good place to realign your life. We need one another. We need worship regularly, and we need to be a light in a dark world. So don't neglect meeting together, as is the habit of some. This is more and more important, even as you see the day approaching. We go right into communion from this, which is a great thing, because communion is a reminder to us of the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. When we take communion, uh, which we will in a moment, you'll come up front and grab um, little plastic cup and in the top is a piece of bread and in the bottom is a little bit of juice we're i'm going to invite you to come up grab it go back to your seat and just hang on to it because i'm going to take it with you it's a reminder to us that we're all in this together that we need jesus christ's blood to cover our sins there's no better liaison from this message into communion than simply the reminder you cannot get to god except through blood Can you imagine having to sacrifice over and over and over again to be reminded of our sins every time we have to sacrifice one of our precious animals? Aren't you grateful that God sacrificed the most precious gift that there was so that you could have a relationship with him? Once for all. We don't need to do this over and over again. We're not re-sacrificing Jesus every time we take communion. It's simply a reminder to us that that great sacrifice has already been made. And if you want a relationship with the Father, you must come through the Son. That is so anti-cultural to say these days. And if you struggle with that, I'd encourage you to read 1 John. Short little book, 1 John. I think there's five chapters in it. Quick read, but I... I'll bet you anything you can't get from the beginning to the end without realizing you need Jesus Christ. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. So let's accept God's truth, the universal truth that we need blood to get to the Father, and he has provided the best sacrifice we could ever receive. When you take communion today, I would encourage you to remember that and thank God for his great gift, his great sacrifice. One more thing I would say before we take communion. On the Day of Atonement, which, by the way, is coming up quickly on the Jewish calendar, but on the Day of Atonement, the priest would typically wear a headband that says, holy to the Lord, kadosh, holy to the Lord. And every time he would do sacrifices, he would keep that on. So people would know, "That's, that's our priest, He's holy to the Lord. He's different from the rest of us. He's kadosh. (laughs) But on the Day of Atonement, you know what the priest had to do? He had to take his headpiece off. And then he had to take an, an incense thing that he waved around that would put smoke up. And then he would go into the Holy of Holies. Why? Because it's a reminder to him and everybody else that if you want a relationship with God, it doesn't matter who you are in the church. It doesn't matter if you're a pastor or a priest or the high priest. It doesn't matter if you're the pope. It doesn't matter who you are. If you want a relationship with God, you have to come through the blood of Jesus Christ because your sin has separated you from God. But Jesus provides a path.